Thanks for joining us today on the LaunchPoint Church Podcast. We believe the Bible is the written Word of God, without error and useful for every part of our daily lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the Word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. For more information about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube, as well as visit our website at www.launchpoint.church. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the message. We've been in a series titled Faithful, and we're going to continue that series today. We're going to talk about faithful this week and faithful next week, and then we're going to move into something else. But we've been talking about what it means to be faithful, what it means to be unshakable, immovable, loyal. Those are, those are all words that indicate faithfulness or are synonymous with faithfulness. And we started this series where we have to start the series that God is faithful. And I want to tell you again that if God wasn't faithful, our faithfulness wouldn't matter. God is the foundation of our life, the, the bedrock foundation that is immovable, unshakable, and loyal. And because He is immovable, unshakable, and loyal, we are expected to be faithful too. Now, I know that that rubs today's culture wrong because people do what they see fit in their own eyes and heart to do. But that's not our privilege. Our privilege is to be obedient to the Word of God, which is the first thing that we discussed in regard to our responsibility to God's faithfulness is our responsibility to the Word of God and being faithful to it. We learned that everything we need to know about God's restorative plan, His expectation of us, is found within the pages of this book. And we should be people of the Word, faithful to read it, faithful to hear it, faithful to meditate on it, faithful to declare it. We should be people of the Word. This should be the guiding force in our life. Having been faithful in the Word, last week we talked about the primary message of the Word, which is Christ Jesus. That we have to be faithful to the Gospel. We talked last week that Paul himself said, listen, I don't come to you with with good speech and being able to intelligently articulate. He didn't use those words. I can't remember the words exactly. But he said, but I come to you with Christ and Him crucified. Do you know why he did that? Do you know why he he found it necessary, provoked by the Spirit to say that? Because that's all that we have. We have Christ and Him crucified. That is the center of of our salvation. It's where we go and everything from which we move in every direction we move away from starts in that space. The Word of God is, God is faithful. We should be faithful to the Word of God. The Word of God declares Christ Jesus, so we should be faithful to the Gospel. And once people accept the Gospel, then we must be, and what I'm going to talk about today, faithful to make disciples. 
We have been called to be faithful to make disciples. If you look up discipleship in, well, I mean, you could just Google it. You're going to come up with 15 or 20 different definitions, some of them academic, some of them less so. But this is how I would define what discipleship looks like. I would say this. To be a disciple is to follow Jesus while becoming like Jesus as we commit to the mission of Jesus. That's discipleship. Again, I'm going to say it for those of you, I see some of you writing it down. To follow Jesus, which means we should, we should do what he did while becoming like him in the way in which he did it, and we commit to the mission of Jesus, which is to bring salvation to the world. Now, we can't save them, but through the gospel presentation, our responsibility is to make disciples. Amen? And so that's, that's where we are. This is the mandate of Scripture for every church. It doesn't matter what church you go to. If their mission statement doesn't include the Great Commission, then they're not a church. Because Jesus told us what a church should look like. Immediately, you guys are thinking, well, what about the back wall? That's, that's our mission statement. No, that's our vision statement. Let me explain the difference to you. A mission statement never changes. It is who we are, what we're doing, and where we're always pressing to. A vision statement does change from time to time based on demographic, technology, maybe community, different things. And our vision statement here is to exist to be a place where people can come to know God. It's how we achieve the mission is create a space where people can come to know God, where people can come to find freedom, where people can discover their purpose, and where people can ultimately make a difference. And as I've told you a hundred times, what is the primary difference we can make? What's the only real difference we can make? Is to create a cyclic pattern within that structure to where we move from the bottom of it to the top of it, and ourselves become a place where people come to know God. This thing should never stop. But our mission statement isn't that. That's how we do it. Our, visions, our mission statement is like this. And I'm, First, let me read this text to you. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus commissions, gives the mission to his church. It's the reason why I don't have the right to change it. It's the reason why no church has the right to change it, because Jesus told us to do it. In verse 16, I'll start there, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus was designated. Jesus told them, go wait for me. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Listen, there's an inference there. He is saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. That means, assume the authority that I have given you 
and go about the business of the mission. So he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So you guys are familiar with our 4M, or if you're not, let me explain it to you, because I never want to assume that you know something, uh, especially if you're visiting. We go, we have a 4M model of discipleship, of accomplishing that mission. That is to make disciples, to mark disciples through water baptism. It's, a, it's an act of obedience that marks them as belonging to God's church. It doesn't save them. Listen to me, it doesn't save them. I'll say it again, it doesn't save them. It's an issue of obedience. So we mark them by water baptism, teaching them all that I've instructed you is maturing them. And when he says, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age, he's saying there's going to be generations, and there has been generations between him and us. And so continue to do it and multiply doing it and multiply doing it. You should be producing who you are, and you should be like Christ Jesus. Amen? That's as simple as I know how to lay it out. So our mission statement is Launch Point Church exists to make, mark, mature, and multiply disciples for Christ Jesus. I just need everybody to be on the same page. Let me tell you how big language is. Language is huge. Having come from a military background, law enforcement background, SWAT background, training background, let me tell you, if we're not all speaking the same language, there's going to be confusion created. And in the fight that we're in the middle of, we don't have time for confusion. It's not during the fight that you need to decide who you are. You need to decide who you are, what you're accomplishing, and what you're doing before the fight presents itself. There's a couple SWAT guys in here. Can I get an amen? And so we've made the decision that this is what we are doing so that when the fight happens, even now as the fight is happening, we are a church on mission. And that's important. One of the things that, it was one of the highlights of our first year for me, we were at Joseph's Storehouse and Pastor Leonard, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, he was ministering to a lady, and he had one of our cards. We had different cards then, but they had that written on it. And he said, he handed her the card, which means he wasn't reading from it. And he said, hey, I want to invite you to Launch Point Church, where we exist to be a place where people can come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. That's all. That dude gets it. And we should all get it. Why are we here? We are here to be faithful, to declare the gospel, and to make disciples. Amen? If we don't stick to the mission, we're not a church. We're something else. We're a group of people hanging out. We can do everything that we can to draw a crowd. 
But in drawing that crowd, if we don't make that crowd Christ-like, we have failed. We have a mission, and that is make disciples according to this mandate. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And I'm going to do so out of Colossians chapter 1. Those of you on Wednesday nights know that I've been teaching for about three months, maybe four, out of Colossians, um, going verse by verse. This is not a lesson from that series, but a separate one. And Colossians 1, 28 and 29 reads like this. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. Amen. I'm just going to cover two verses. I think that's probably enough. I'm going to make four points though. And here's the first one. If we're going to be disciple makers... Disciple makers proclaim Him. The Bible says we proclaim Him. You can't make disciples if you first don't tell people about Jesus. No one has ever preached the gospel that hasn't preached Christ Jesus. You're all, man, you talked about this last week. That's okay. Can we talk about the gospel this week too? And talk about the gospel next week too. And the next week too, Paul did everything for the sake of Christ and Him crucified so that people who were going to hell may not go to hell because of the declaration he was willing to make regardless of whether they felt good about it or not. And so we have to start where Paul starts with proclaiming Him because that's where the discipleship process starts. By making disciples. And you can't make disciples if you can't make people like Jesus or declare a message that causes people to accept Jesus. They, they might be like Jesus, follow Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. Jesus is the gospel, but we don't, we don't want to preach it because it freaks us out. Or at least that's the, that's the only reason I can figure why we don't preach it, because we're scared of it. Because I would say less than 10% of the church consistently and with intentionality proclaims the gospel to the people around that. Why are we nervous? It's not your message. You can't save them. Only God can save them. And according to the Word of God, you've been empowered to deliver the message by the Holy Spirit, and He will bring to your recollection the things you know you need to know so that they might come to know Jesus. So here, here's, let me give you a biblical text for that. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, who has been sent, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. Just preach the gospel. 
Make disciples. You have to start there. Proclaim Him because there is no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved. Acts 4.12 I'm not telling you that because I want to manipulate you into doing something or you've got something I want. I'm telling you that because it's the only way we're ever going to have a chance of spending eternity together. I had a job when God called me to start this one. And if God told me to stop doing this one, I would go back to that one probably. But for now... And even then, I'm still going to proclaim Christ Jesus because it's the only message that we have. And we should because he, he has done so much for us. He saved us from who we were. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. You're all, man, that's condemning. It is condemning, but it should be uplifting too. Al Coker, are you saved? Been saved quite a while, I imagine. Pastor Leonard, are you saved? Praise God. Pastor, Pastor Rick, amen. I could go through this room. Most of y'all, probably near all of you would say yes. So it's not condemning. It should be encouraging because Al... Pastor Leonard, Pastor Rick, Thomas, everybody that would claim Christ Jesus, they fell short too, but God still redeemed them. That's encouraging. That it doesn't matter how bad a person I was, I was that person. I'm no longer that person. I am covered by and washed clean by the blood of Christ Jesus. And He has, because of who we are, bought us back. And He bought us by that blood. Amen. Galatians 4, 4, B, and 5 says, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. That means to gain or regain possession of those under the law, that He might receive our adoption as sons. If I thought you'd do it, I'd close right now and just ask you to go home and spend the rest of the week meditating on that Galatians text. God values you so much that He gave His Son for you. I see people and it crushes me, and it should you too. They think they have no value. They think they have no worth. They think nobody cares or loves them, cares about or loves them. It's not true. God loves you and sent His Son Jesus to die for you so that by His blood you might be bought back into adoption as sons, be made family. Isn't that beautiful? Let me tell you, you want to know what your value is? Here's, here's what I come to learn a long time ago. A thing is only worth what someone's willing to pay for. It. I used this example some time ago, but I was a couple years ago, I was looking through Amazon and I found a t-shirt 
that was sold in some fancy shop and just a regular old white V-neck kind of beat up looking thin T-shirt they were asking like 110 bucks for. And I thought, I'll go down to Walmart, pick up a good one for five bucks, you know. What's the difference between that T-shirt's value and the other T-shirt's value? People are willing to pay 110 bucks for this other T-shirt. It's the same T-shirt. It's a worse T-shirt. But people are willing to pay for it. Why am I bringing that up? Because it proves your value. If, you're, if your worth is based on what someone is willing to pay for you, then God paid for you with the most precious commodity in the universe, the, son, the blood of his son, Jesus. So that we wouldn't be condemned, we would be sons. Mm. And because we are sons, because we've been bought back, we've been declared as innocent. I talk to a lot of folks that have criminal backgrounds, just largely because I used to be law enforcement. And, you know, law, just pastoral work, you, you come across a lot of people that have criminal backgrounds, and they've, they've done their time, man. They're out here. They're trying to do the best they can. But you know what follows them around? Their record. Even if they're not that person anymore, their record follows them around. People don't trust them. People won't give them a job because of who they were, not who they are. Let me tell you, you've been redeemed and you have been justified so incredibly that not only has the charges been removed from you, they were been removed in such a way so as though they never existed in the first place. I'm telling you, there is no record in the kingdom of heaven over sins that you've repented for. I'm thankful for that, right? So we should declare the gospel first. We should declare Jesus first. We should declare him first if we're going to make disciples. Secondly, disciple makers warn and teach. This is the maturing process. I told you we make Mark, which is an act of obedience. It's a willful act of obedience and mature. So this disciple makers warn and teach is the marking and maturing piece. In verse 28b, it says, admonishing every man and teach every man with all, all wisdom. Bible's got some big words in it, man. Y'all ever read your Bible and you had to go look it up in a dictionary? What does that mean? Perpetual what? I, like for five years, I had to look up propitiation every time I saw it because I'm not I'm Polish, and I forgot it every time. But it uses this word admonishing. What does that mean? It means people must be warned. You got to warn them. Disciple makers warn, warn and teach, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. That is wisdom by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So to warn them, we must warn people about what's going to happen 
if they do not accept the gospel message of Jesus or if they don't follow through with the confession that they've made. This isn't a once saved, always saved church, just so you know. If that freaks anybody out, it's better you know now. I believe there's too much evidence within the Scripture where God says, or God, the Holy Spirit through the writers say something along the lines of, be careful, don't drift away, um, hold steadfast, those kinds of things, to knowing that they're talking to the church for us to stand confidently in the fact that, that, you, can lose your, that you can't lose your salvation. Just, I just don't think that's possible. I think there's, if you're not paying attention long enough, you're going to drift away. And we have to warn them about that. We have to tell them, first, hell is a real and true consequence of not accepting Jesus. And hell is hot, and hell is forever, and hell is inconvenient. But hell, praise God, is a prison locked from the inside. You know what I mean by that? That means God gave you the key in Christ Jesus to unlock yourself from the cell that would cause you to go to hell. Jesus answers and unlocks that door for you. All you have to do is accept it and walk out of it because Jesus paid the price. You've been warned. There's two kinds of people at the end of your life. Those who are dead in the Spirit and those who are alive in the Spirit. Those who will be with God in heaven or those who will not be with God in eternal, in eternal hell, cast away. The most frightening words in your Bible should be to you, depart from me. I don't know what would be worse, man. That the words or the environment in which I heard them. Because God isn't going down to hell to say, depart from me. Which means for a second, you're going to get to see heaven to not be able to stay there. We got to tell people, man, I've never hated anyone enough to not tell them about Jesus or walk alongside of them once they've accepted Jesus. Because discipleship is more than just accepting Jesus. It's about warning them and teaching them. We have to warn them. We have to teach them. We have to warn them about judgment. We have to teach them. He says, all things that I have commanded. What do we teach them? All things that he's commanded. I'm a pretty linear thinker. You guys know that. I'm relatively systematic in the way I put series together. There's a reason why I put faithful to the word before we talked about this. Because what we find in the covers of this book is what we are to teach them. This is the revelation of God, God's nature, who He is, what He did, and what He expects of us. And so to teach them, to disciple them so that they might walk in maturity, which is the third step of our 4M discipleship process, means that we have to teach them all that we know. You know what we know profoundly? What's in this book. Everything else might be true. Literally everything else on earth might be true. This is absolute truth. 
And so we have to warn them and we have to teach them. We have to teach them about righteousness, humility, the need for justification, the blood of Jesus, sober, sober living. And I'm not talking about not being drunk. I'm just pay, talking about living a life where you're paying attention. Heaven and hell, what God's done for you, why he's done it for you, how he's done it for you, all of these things need to be taught until everyone hears, according to Acts 1.8, to the ends of the earth. One of the things in my naivety, when I first got saved, well, I'll tell you, when I was Polish, this, this happened when I was Polish too. I remember driving back from the academy and I thought, I thought, man, I'm certified police officer now. Six months from now, ain't going to be no crime in this community. I have to handle this business. You know, because I've always thought bigger than myself. I just thought, I have the ability to stop crime in this community. Guess what? Six months later, it was still here. And then after a year, I got a little jaded because it was still here. A little more jaded a year after that because it was still here. But can I tell you this about, about this community? You as a Christian, there should be less sin in this community and more Christ-like in this community because you live in this community. It's possible that you're jaded about your Christianity because you haven't followed through in doing what you're called to do and being a disciple-maker. One of the most frustrating things in, in, my, in the Scripture to me is where it says these are the men that turn the world upside down. And he's just talking about a few of them. He was talking about less men that are in this room right now turned their world upside down. And we can't even get past our front yard. It's true, isn't it, Pastor Leonard? We can do better. We have to make them, mark them, mature them by warning and teaching them. Number three, we have to multiply them. Disciple makers have the, have the right goal in mind. Verse 28c says, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's our job. Our job isn't to, isn't just to bring people into relationship with Jesus. Did you know that? That's not the full mission. I will concede the idea that it's the most important part of the mission. But it's not the only part of the mission. We have to multiply them too. We should be Disciples who make disciples. I'm a product of discipleship. If you've ever sat under me and discipled under me, know that I am the product of someone else's discipleship. And those people were product of someone else's discipleship. Pastor Rick discipled me and taught me to love the Word of God. I had a pastor. My pastor taught me to love God. But that man taught me how to dissect and love the Word of God. Both of them integral parts of my discipleship process. 
Rusty and Carol Martin taught me to love people, an integral part of my discipleship process. Marty Cooper, Pastor Leonard, taught me boldness in prayer and seeking the face of God. They've part of my discipleship process. You know what? That's all of those people are old. Angela and I used to joke that we didn't have any friends that weren't older than us, that, that were younger than us. All of our friends were older than us, which turned out well for us, you know, in our early Christian years because they knew more stuff than us. Y'all, young people need to understand. Old people are, man, they got old on purpose. Like, they had to pay attention to get old. We grew up in a generation where you had to pay attention to get old. <laughs> so find someone and disciple them or be discipled by them so that you may be multiplied in who you are. I've got a, something written on my dry erase board in my office that says a young man desires to lead, to make his mark in the world. But a young man, an old man, desires to leave one. I'm past the point of trying to make my mark in the world. I'm trying to leave one. You should be trying to leave one too. Amen? How do we do that? By multiplying disciples for Christ Jesus. First Timothy, I'm sorry, Second Timothy 2-2 used to be one of my favorite verses. It was actually my Gmail address back in the day. It says this, The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's Paul talking to Timothy. He says, The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust those to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's, at a bare minimum, fourth-generation discipleship. So we have to multiply, because lo, Jesus is coming back. And I can't imagine a world as, as decayed as ours is becoming. I can't imagine a world that my grandbabies have to grow up in where they don't know that Jesus loves them and their responsibility to ensure that their friends know that Jesus loves them too. So we've been called to make, mark, mature, and multiply disciples for Christ Jesus. But... Pay attention to verse 29 real fast. I'll cut you loose. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Disciple makers work dependently is the last point I would make to you. Not independently. Dependently. Listen to this. For this purpose, what purpose? For the purpose of making and maturing disciples, I, I labor. If you'll look up labor, 
That word literally means to agonize, to do whatever is necessary, to yearn towards striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. He says, listen, man, I can't do this by myself. And it's what I'd tell you too. You can't make, mark, mature, or multiply disciples for Christ Jesus by yourself. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not anything enough. But the Spirit of God through Christ Jesus that lives in you is more than enough. We have to learn to declare the gospel and be faithful to discipleship according to the power that is within us and agonize towards it. Isn't that good? That's my prayer for y'all today. Really, it's my prayer for y'all every day. Is that you realize just what a great, huge thing Christ has entrusted us with. He didn't have to. You don't think God could just go, all right, they're saved. But he asked us to help. He didn't ask us to help. He told us to help. And so we should help. So my prayer for you is that you commit to being a disciple makers, which means you have to look for the people around you who don't know him. Look for those who may know him but aren't maturing. And then multiply yourself in the life of other people. And that's inconvenient. Yes. Yeah. But you know what? It's only going to be inconvenient for about 70, 80 years. And then 10,000 years, it's not going to be inconvenient at all. Amen? Everybody stand with me. I want to pray that over you. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you and thank you, Lord, that you love us. God, I, my prayer today is that we see the people around us, that we tell them about who you are, that we have a convictional need to tell them who you are. But then, Lord, not just leave them, but stand alongside of them, walk with them, help warn them and teach them and encourage them, show them the value that they have. Lord God, I ask that you implant a new and revived passion in every person in this room to be about the mission that you've given the church. Not our church, the church. God, so that ultimately you might be glorified through our work. And so that ultimately when we're standing before you in judgment of what we got right, what we didn't get right, we'll have fruit to offer you. God, I praise you. I thank you that you are faithful. Teach us to be faithful too. In Jesus' name, amen.